Our scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. Would you stand for the hearing of God's holy word? A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice, because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I started paying attention to and praying through the Psalms in college, and they very quickly became my favorite part of the Bible. They're honest and complex and beautiful and ultimately hopeful. I remember setting up a prayer night uh, for the SMU Wesley Foundation one year in college, and I worked with some friends to make several different stations around the room that were loosely based on different emotions. So there's one prayer station for prayers of joy, another for prayers of confession, another for prayers of thanksgiving. And as we created these, we found that different psalms were perfect to guide people through those different areas because they're psalms of joy and they're psalms of confession and they're psalms of thanksgiving. And then a little bit later in my time in college, I discovered some of the even more complex psalms, like psalms of sorrow. One night, uh, some friends and I went to see a movie called Waltz with Bashir. It was a devastating movie about the Lebanon War, and it left us all deeply troubled at the end. We honestly did not know how to end the night after, after seeing it, until we went back to our dorms and turned to the Psalms and read Psalm 88, which is one of the very few Psalms of sorrow that ends without any positive resolution. Offering that psalm as a prayer when I was learning more about the horrors of war around our world was a revelation. It comforted me in the moment and showed me what it means to pray when I did not have the words to pray. I could use those words from the psalm as a guide for my soul. And ever since then, the psalms have been my trusty guide, especially when things get tough. Psalm 13 is one of those for me personally, and I believe it can be a helpful guide for all who are journeying through some of the tougher parts of life, through despair or pain or the unknown, for all of us who are searching desperately for a sense of hope. Did you hear the heart-wrenching honesty of that prayer, especially in the first couple of verses? It writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? 
This is a prayer that voices felt separation from God, loneliness, doubt, soul pain, and sorrow. Which means, first and foremost, if you feel any of those emotions or have ever felt those emotions, you are faithful. Because those very words are printed in our Bible as a prayer of faith. Before we even get to an invitation to hope, and as an important step to that goal, the book of Psalms shows us that faith is not sanitized. Our prayers need not be overly pious. They merely need to be honest. Prayer is the space we have to be brutally honest with God and ourselves. And I hope that's good news for all of us who have doubts, who wrestle with God in the dark moments of our lives, or every day living in a world that seems so often bent on destruction and pain. How long, O oh Lord, will you turn your face from the wars and the discrimination? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon titled Shattered Dreams in 1959, and in it he begins by prayerfully naming the shattered dreams which impact us. After recounting all the pains from Gandhi's shattered dreams of a unified, peaceful India, to the too long delayed dreams of freedom for enslaved Americans, to the Apostle Paul's own shattered dreams of sharing the gospel in Spain, as we see in the book of Acts. Dr. King sums it all up by saying, shattered dreams, blasted hopes, this is life. I think the person who wrote Psalm 13 knew how true that is. Shattered dreams, blasted hopes, this is life. And those first verses of Psalm 13 offer us an invitation to actually name what keeps us from the hopes we seek. Naming those pains and despairs is the first step toward finding healing and hope. So hear this psalmist's invitation to cry out to God with the pain you feel from loss to offer a prayer of sorrow for the emptiness you feel or those dreams that have been deterred, and then cry out with, to God with the whole world, lamenting any pain we inflict on each other. Of course, the psalmist doesn't end in that mode. By the last two verses of Psalm 13, there's a turn to trust and hope. And we see here a format shared by almost all of the lament psalms in that book of the Bible, except 88, which I mentioned earlier. In every single one of these sorrowful psalms, there's an expression of trouble. and Sometimes it goes on and on, much longer than the one we shared today. Then, in the last line or two, there's a turn. Suddenly, the expression changes. In Psalm 13, it sounded like this. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, scholars speculate about this format. Maybe after praying the lament part, the psalmist has made an offering at the temple and has now feels comforted. Maybe a priest offered words of encouragement. Maybe there was a pause during which the psalmist listened for God's voice and began to see things in a different perspective. Maybe that pause lasted a day, or a week, or years, but eventually it came. I used to wonder exactly what happened in that pause and that turn in all of these psalms. If we knew what caused 
the writers of these psalms to trust again after such intense despair, we could just plug that into our own lives, right? We'd have the answer and everything would finally work out. Now I see the pause and the turn in a different light. Maybe it was not so much that an answer was offered. Maybe the space and the unknown itself is what guides us to hope. The writer and activist Rebecca Solnit finally helped me see where hope emerges in these psalms. In her book, Hope in the Darkness, she recognizes that one of the difficulties in moving out of despair and pain is thinking that there are no other possibilities. The world is doomed. My life is dire. When we are really in despair, we feel these things. Nothing could ever fix this. In contrast, she writes, Hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen, and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act. When you recognize uncertainty, you recognize that you may be able to influence the outcomes. You alone, or you in concert with a few dozen or several million others. Hope is an embrace of the unknown and unknowable, an alternative to the certainty both of both optimists and pessimists. So I think hope isn't just optimism that things will be well. And it's also impeded when we are dead set that nothing good could ever happen. To put it as simply as I know how, hope is embracing possibility. And again, Dr. King illustrates this beautifully in his Shattered Dream sermon when he examines the inverse of hope. He explains some of our human tendencies to respond to despair by distilling all our frustrations into a core of bitterness or resentment of spirit, or to withdraw completely into ourselves, or to adopt a philosophy of fatalism. I'm guilty of all those. Thanks for cutting to my own core, Dr. King. But his point in pointing those out is that in each of these responses, we close ourselves off to the unknown, to the space where hope can flourish. The point of hope is to soften our hearts and minds, be open to the belief that anything could happen, especially when we are honest with ourselves and work hard with other people to embrace a different and better outcome. That means hope is not trying to see the glass half full. Rather, it's understanding that when the glass is half empty, we have a God who will still join us for a drink. When the glass is totally empty, we have a God who fills it back up with God's own sacrifice. We have a God who knows fully the pain of that empty cup, but also knows how to fill it up again. And that's why we sing. That's how we hope. I'd like to think I'm not really against optimism, but I acknowledge that it's different from hope. Hope recognizes that God is here with us now and embraces the amazing possibilities such a presence offers us. Where optimism ignores uncertainty for comfort, hope depends on it. And this reorientation is exactly what our psalmist invites us to do in that pause and that turn in Psalm 13. The psalmist doesn't tell us exactly what happened to move from despair to hope, but does show us that in the unknown there is possibility. Everything is not doomed and dire. So, how do we accept that invitation into the unknown of hope and maybe do so so fully that we offer that invitation to others? 
I'll offer a few specific ideas in just a moment, but first I have to share this amazing painting by the English painter George Frederick Watts. In this 1886 painting, appropriately titled Hope, he visually captures what I believe our psalm is singing about. If you can't see the details, I'll point out a few things. Watts depicts a woman in tattered clothes sitting atop an orb. She is blindfolded and holds a small lyre. The lyre itself has only one remaining string. All the others are broken. And it seems as if the woman is leaning over as far as she can to hear the music from that one remaining string. The background is beautiful and lonely and haunting, outside of reality and deeply grounded in it. Now, Watts could have painted hope more triumphantly, in more typical ways, as a seed sprouting forth, as a ray of sunlight hitting a path, as a rainbow across the sky. But he chose instead this image. It captures both the sadness and the motivation that lies at the core of hope. It's an image that I believe cuts through both optimism and pessimism to illustrate the beautiful uncertainty of hope. And this figure also demonstrates to me boldness and trust. Against all the odds, she has not hardened her heart or put away her instrument. She knows there's still a possibility to make music and has the courage to try, even with only one string remaining. I have to believe this is what the composer of Psalm 13 looked like after naming all that pain and sorrow and sitting in that space before finally turning to embrace hope. And maybe we can follow this example. Maybe we can name our pains openly and honestly before God. I think the first step toward hope is honesty and trust. And praying honestly when all seems lost is an act of trust, believing that God might hear. Sure, we cry out, God, why are you not here? But cries directed to God at least hold within them the subversive hope that God will hear our complaints. And then we pause and turn and listen for the song. By that, I mean listen closely with all our might to what is happening in our world that writes a different kind of story than the despair that can creep in. The work of New Hope, for instance, a ministry that's been supported by our church, and it's right there in the name after all, New Hope, shows again and again and realizes how new starts with dignity are possible for those who have experienced abuse and poverty. Us people of faith are called to be a people who forge new spaces that are not built on empty optimism or fatalistic pessimism. Participating in those kinds of ministries, and there are so many of them in and outside of our church, all throughout our communities, I think that's what it looks like to live in the pause and the turn of the psalm to live an alternative way of openness in order to embrace the possibility of the unknown, to play that one string we have left with courage. The psalmist in Psalm 13 is telling a story of hope. In doing so, he's inviting us into that alternative space and inviting us to open the space wide for others. We can't make another person hope. We can't even make ourselves hope. It's a thing with feathers, flighty and fragile. But we can pray honestly, and we can attend to stories of possibility, and through them let hope take flight. Maybe that's an invitation that we can receive 
and share this day. God, help us to do so. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for words that guide us, for psalms and songs. Continue to guide us in this time of worship to your hope. A hope present at the table before us, a hope present in the faces of each and every person here, a hope present deep in our hearts. Thank you for that, oh God. Amen.